Welcome to episode 57 of the Untangled Faith podcast. Author Shannon Martin joins me today and I tell her why I thought following her six years ago was going to cost my husband his job. And Shannon shares with us what she's learned about being a neighbor. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. I know what it's like to know you should do something, but you just can't figure out a way to actually do it. I bet getting started with a counselor is one of those things. Faithful counseling makes it so easy to get started. You can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon, but this episode is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists from all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. They're a therapist with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. In 2016, I had the opportunity to join a launch team for Shannon Martin's book, Falling Free, Rescued from the Life I Always Wanted. If you've never been on a launch team, it just means you get early access to a book in exchange for helping share the word about it as it's getting released into the world. I loved the book, and Shannon's writing was, and still is, exquisite. But there was one big problem I ran into. As I followed her online and read some of her book, it became pretty clear to me that she had some concerns about the Dave Ramsey plan. In a typical situation, this wouldn't be a big deal. But I wasn't in a typical situation. My husband worked for Dave Ramsey at the time, and her reasonable pushback terrified me. I was afraid if I was seen following her or liking anything she said, it would cost our family dearly. For the first time, I shared this with Shannon in this episode. I was on the launch team for your 2016 book. Oh my goodness. I know. Amy. I know. My world was so different than I was in Hope Writers and there was okay. a call that came out that said, hey, this is a great opportunity if anybody wants to be on the launch team. And I was like, I'll do that. And so it was oh my, my first introduction to your writing and I loved it. But my husband was working for Dave Ramsey at the time, and oh. you weren't a fan. You weren't, like, mean or anything. But I was terrified. Like, I was like, I love her writing, but I'm afraid if she says something and, like, somebody sees that I'm following her right, that my husband would lose his job. Is that Isn't, crazy? It's absolute <laughs> absurdity. And and very real. I totally yeah. just from what I know, yeah. I understand why you worried about that. Yeah. And you know, I told my husband at the time and he kind of thought it was crazy. But he really wasn't paying attention to what 
was happy. You know, he was yeah. just heads down writing just code. Working. Right. You know, it wasn't a problem for him. I was overreacting, yeah. but I was like, I think this is going to be a problem. Oh my goodness. I didn't mention Dave by name, did I? And I don't think in the book I did. I don't think you did in the book. But Maybe. in other places online I did. Like it was probably yeah. clear. Every once in a while online, you're like, I don't know. This is, I mean, as the years have gone by and he's become more, dropped more and more of his mask, you've yeah. been more clear on your feelings on the situation, which. Well, I just think I'm, you know, we're always changing and always growing. And I, I will say the first time I remember it's before we even moved to this house, but I wrote a blog post about my views on him and I was unprepared for yeah. the amount of pushback. I mean, usually I have a sense of like, you know, I know if I'm saying something that's going to be a little polarizing, Yeah, I was like, oh, this is even bigger than I knew, <laughs> you know, people's yeah. loyalty to him yeah. 12 years ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, so my husband moved for a job for him in 2012. And so is, yeah, yeah. A lot of life has changed. It, your, your first book came out in 2016, and that was like right as the political world was really starting to unravel. Yeah. Yep. And the timing was really good. It was good for me to hear nuance. Yeah. And to hear and see what happens when somebody says something that challenges. Mm -hmm. Challenges. Like, how do you yeah. respond to that? And is it okay? Is this a safe... Right. Is it safe to have nuance? Yeah. Are we to be allowed? Like, I feel, can we say this out loud? Like, can can we yeah. have the conversation where maybe this isn't working exactly the way it was promised? You know, those sorts of conversations. Yeah. So yeah. it was good. I God really used voices like yours because there's a part of me that wanted to be like, okay, I'm going to block her now or I'm just going to hide her. I'm not going right. to block her. Yes. I'm going to just mute what she says. And I think we all, this is, this, I feel, you know, this is going to seem unrelated, but I'm going to land the plane. Yeah, I feel no. like this is connected to the sort of communication that you've been doing and connecting to people. Like if yeah. you're going to make connections with people, meaningful connections, you're going to need to make space in your life for people that don't agree with every last assumption that you've ever yes. had. And yeah. I could never fully get rid of you in my heart, Shannon. <laughs> You just were, oh. you just kept showing up, being consistent and asking really important questions mm -hmm. and listening to people who disagreed yeah. with you. And it was, it was really important for me. How does that feel to hear that from me? I, I absolutely love it. And I, I think that's, that's so in line with the spirit of, of even this book, like this idea of. And I have to push myself all the time too to to make sure that I don't end up in just a different kind of echo chamber, yeah. because the the temptation is real. You know, it just feels better to be in a world where none of our beliefs or assumptions or realities are challenged. Yeah, and to move from feel, one echo chamber to yes, another. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm aware of that all the time, and I have to I have to be really intentional. Um, in, in pursuing those connections still. And honestly, I, I'm, I'm super encouraged and I learn in many ways from people like you who are willing to say, even if, whether it's me or somebody else, you know, I just, for whatever reason, I just stayed and I yeah. just kept listening. And I think that 
I think that's a really big deal. And I think it's really hard to do, especially now. I think the question that you ask that has been helpful for me is when you say, what am I missing? And you're willing to hear someone say, Mm -hmm. here's what you might not be seeing. Yeah. Um, I recently talked to Bob Smetana. I don't know if you follow him. He's Uh a religion journalist. He's just brilliant. He's been in this job for two decades. I love talking to him. Um, Just asking him what it's like to be a religion journalist. Um, And he said, winning isn't the thing. Connection is the Mm. thing. And I feel like that really resonated with some of the writing that you did. There was one chapter that you had written about listening. And um, you say that curiosity lights our way to compassion. I underline that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear you flesh that out a little bit. Like, what do you mean by curiosity? Yeah. Well, the way? you know, Amy, I'm thinking back to just, just in the context of our conversation right here, times that I have intentionally gone to social media, which I know that's a little bit of, it, that's a little bit of nuance there. Like we're yeah. not always going to be going to Instagram or whatever to ask our questions. But for me, you know, that's part of my work and it's a space I enjoy. And it's a space that I really, I hope to give some leadership to like some modeling of this is what this can look like. But very recently, when I, when I asked one of those questions, like, help me out, what am I missing? What am I not seeing here? And, and I think it was during, it it was kind of in the thick of pandemic stuff and just a lot of division, especially in Christian spaces over yeah, how we yeah. should be handling this. And, you know, I have, I'm an Enneagram eight with my big opinions and, you know, all this is happening, but I'll tell you what, I, I really, when I do those big conversations, I kind of block off the day. Like it's going to take most of my day. It takes a lot of bandwidth and a lot of time. Um, but the following day, I just remember being so clear that I had not changed my mind you know, my, my opinions, and sometimes we do change our minds and that's, that's okay and good too. But in this particular case, I still felt the same way, but I had such a clear sense of, I understand better now, um, because of some people who were willing to say, this is why I see this differently. And so being, allowing space for myself to be curious about, you know, rather than just this is stupid or, you know, whatever, however we might feel, but instead to lean into like, help me understand. And I'm telling you, there were some folks who helped me understand. And that is where empathy does come in, where we can see each other as fully human, even if we disagree, even if we don't see things the same way, it requires some of those basic ground rules on both sides, because there were plenty of people who were just you know, mad at me and screaming at me. And, and I was, I didn't feel moved by that, but I was thinking, (laughs) I was thinking that the next day of specific people who shared specific things and it, it grew compassion within me. And so I think that's the key is, is to, to carve out time and space to be in relationship with people who are outside of our particular silo or echo chamber, just to listen and to be human together um, it's challenging and, you know, there are barriers to doing that, but anytime we can do that, we come out the other side, more compassionate, more curious, more empathetic. Yeah. Cur- you know, Lori Wilbert just wrote a book about curiosity too. Uh-huh. I'm reading and it right now. <laughs> it's such, it's, it's really timely. Um, yeah. there's so much polarization. I think it's interesting 
that you have to be intentional. I love that you Mm -hmm. are using social media intentionally to be curious Mm -hmm. and not just to share a hot take. Yeah. And I have seen Twitter is really easy for like a short thing to just sort of drop a pithy thing, but you really need to do a thread or take it somewhere like Instagram to include nuance. And nuance is a buzzy word, but it's powerful. Um, yeah, because there things aren't as simple right. as we like to think they are. Yeah. And if it's a nice, you know, quotable thing, it probably is missing something. <laughs> that's that's so true. <laughs> if we can just remove all the context, it sounds so pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you have to explain yourself anyways. Then you'd be like, well, right. of course this. And I, I would have, you know, you have to yeah. assume this when you read that. Yeah. And you're like, well, might as well have just made a big long. Some exactly. people are really good at it. Like I think of someone like Hannah Anderson. She is the master yeah. at nuance and like, like let's dig into like what this really means. Yeah. Um, let's sit with it for a minute. Yeah. We can, we can use social media in a way that actually cultivates that. Yeah. Or we can use it in a way to like just reinforce our echo chambers. Yeah. But we have to absolutely. be intentional, right? Yeah. Well, and I just, I, you know, Twitter in particular gets such a bad rap and I'm always here as like the, the big sister defending Twitter. I know. I've met so many great folks there, had really That's great conversations. I mean, it's a tool. It's a tool for us for connection and for learning and for empathy. And it's just a, you know, it's, it's right there and, and Instagram as well, but you know, They're just, I love them for different reasons, but social media in general is an opportunity to engage on some level. And, you know, connections imply a lot of different levels of, of care and, um, you know, relationship, but we have these things right in front of us. We have the opportunity to learn directly from the source, from people who look or live or believe differently than we do. And if we don't push ourselves to engage with some of these voices, you know, we, we're just missing out on a, on a really fundamental basis. We're, we're missing out. Our worldviews are, are not quite as formed as they might be because we, we're not exposed to these areas where we might have blind spots or, you know, uh, limitations, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I'm just I'm a huge fan of reading, you know, reading books from from people who we might perceive as like, I always like air quotes different. Like we think people are different from us in certain ways. And, and what we come to find is we're really all pretty similar when it, when it comes down to it, but, but buying those books, reading them and then finding folks on social media is a massive tool. Yeah. And you, I mean, I could sometimes just look and say, okay, this person seems to be using social media really well. Who are they listening to? Yeah. Who are they following? Sometimes that can help me make sure that my own life isn't becoming an echo echo chamber yeah. in social media. I remember Sean Groves posted something probably a year or two ago about hacking the algorithm of like trying to make it so that, you know, social media, Facebook, whatever, isn't just pushing one idea to yeah. you yeah. and making sure you inter- inter- engage with different people and follow different yeah. people. Um, it's hard to fool the, right. the technology that's getting better and better. <laughs> but you have to be intentional about it. I think that's mm-hmm. the thing. You can't, it just, it's just, it's a worthy, really easy. 
it's a worthy pursuit. You know, I, I think of, and you know this about me, Amy, because you've, you know, we've, we've known each other for a long time, but my <laughs> politics in particular have really, really changed over the years. And especially on Twitter, maybe somewhat on Instagram too, but, you know, I used to work in really conservative political spaces and I follow some of those folks on Twitter. And I know that impulse when I see certain things, like I just, my finger is just hovering over the unfollow button. Like it, you know, it brings something up in me. It makes me feel something that feels not great. Um, but I think I, I resist, I resist that temptation to unfollow because of what you're, what you're saying and what Sean shared. We have to, we have to leave space for difference. We just do. We just do. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to look at page 30 because I, I wrote a note about it. What did I underline there? Oh, oh, okay. This, this relates. Okay. It says here, here's the thing. If my sample size only includes me, Corey, mm-hmm. the kids, and our dearest friends, my theories on life will be simple but skewed. When I widen my lens, bringing more into view, gathering and sorting and placing it all beneath the microscope of compassion and care, the results are more complicated. That's where the magic is. Mm-hmm. How do we do this when we feel maybe feel nervous about uh losing connections we already have mm-hmm. and comfort that we have with some of our friends yeah, and faith communities. How do we widen the circle mm-hmm. and stay faithful to Jesus? You know, we don't want to become right. heretics. We don't want <laughs> right. to be, you know what I mean? I um, do. Tell I do. me, tell me about attention. Well, you know, I, I think I, I grew up somehow absorbing this idea. I, I have wonderful parents. They did not ever say this with their mouths. They were new Christians doing their best during, you know, the satanic panic of the eighties. Like that's, that's where I grew up. And so I can see places where my parents were just looking around them, like, tell us what to do, tell us how to raise our kids. And then just trying to do these things. Um, But the message I absorbed just from the breadth of my childhood was that difference was a danger Hmm. that, that it was, that it, you know, I should keep my distance or, um, you know, we should, we should kind of huddle up with like-minded people lest we be corrupted or, you know, this, these ideas of, you know, the bad influences or, um, you know, if we, if we get too curious or we talk to the wrong people, we might lose our faith. And I, I kind of laugh about it now, but it's real. It is real. And it's still, I know people who are fighting against that even now. I know that well into adulthood, I worried about some of these things. And it wasn't until, it really wasn't until my family moved into this neighborhood 10 or so years ago. And suddenly I was just really surrounded. I didn't know anybody. And I was surrounded by a lot of different kinds of difference. Um, And so as I started to, you know, I'm lonely, I'm trying to get to know people, I'm trying to, to make friends and build connections. And I'm realizing pretty quickly that many, many of the folks around me see the world from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I had the choice at that point to, to put up that wall out of fear or to just lean in with curiosity. And, and what I can say on kind of, I'm not on the other side of that, but I'm very much in the middle of that still is that I didn't, 
lose my faith. You know, there were some, there were some important shifts that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, it pulls us into places of tension that can feel pretty uncomfortable because all of a sudden we were forced to kind of grapple with things that we haven't had to grapple with before. But I think, I think the, the roots hold. Um, and I think if anything, it has just given me, and I hope this continues to happen because by no means have I arrived at some destination, but it just, it gives me a clearer picture of how I see the world around me, how I see myself in the world and how I see God, how I see God's love, how, um, how I see God's power. It's through these, these places of tension or these conversations where there's not just one narrative that I'm able to, to see a a fuller perspective of that. Yeah. Would you say you feel less anxious about those conversations now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I don't feel, I, I just remember, I'm going to be real specific here. Okay. Um, and this is, you know, this is going back 10 or 11 years. I don't know, but I remember sitting at the coffee house. This was in within the first maybe six months to a year of living here. And I, I was having coffee with a woman, um, who I didn't know at all. I knew she was a pastor at the church, just a a block or so up from me, which by the way, women pastors, this was new to me. You know, I knew that this was a thing in the world, but it was, had never been a thing in my world. And so right away that was like, well, this is different for me. And there was a time that I might have felt if I'm being honest, like, oh, I should keep some distance. Like, I don't know about this. I didn't know why I felt that way. I just knew that was yeah. like, you know, you just toe the line and this is what you do. Um, but she said something very specific to me. She was part of the Mennonite church, sort of the the progressive arm of the Mennonite church, which is very prevalent here in Goshen. And she said something about um, being anti-war and nonviolent, which is a central tenet to their faith expression. And I just remember, I remember so clearly sitting there drinking my tea and thinking, oh no, (laughs) like I was a (laughs) little like, oh no. And I was a little like eyes wide smiling, like this is interesting. I had never ever sat face to face with someone who would say, you know, I am committed to nonviolence. I am a pacifist. I don't remember the exact words she used, but you know, I grew up, you know, steeped in Republican politics. And, you know, it was, there was a sense of, of honestly jubilation about war. And it was just a really different, it was a really different vibe for me. And I I just knew I had the choice to keep the conversation going or to, to push back in fear. And I'm so grateful that I knew that I was allowed to just listen. I didn't, you know, nothing about that conversation on that very day changed anything major about me. I did very much shift over time, but it, you know, I, I knew I could sit there for the next hour and just listen and that there was going to be no harm done in that. And so as we build those muscles and we practice these things, it does get, you know, the anxiety lessens because we, we, we know about ourselves, like this isn't dangerous. I have permission to do this. It's okay that I'm here. It's good that I'm here. You know, and we build that that truer narrative, and it helps. Yeah, I I talked to someone the other day. Actually, it was, it was like it was in the spring. Um, uh, somebody that works for Grace, um, who knows Boz Chavidjan, and he okay. said that they had met each other when they were in Lynchburg because they were both in Virginia, 
And he said they were part of the Slippery Slope Club together. <laughs> right. So there you were joining the Slippery Slope yes. Club in the in the coffee shop. Yeah. There's something in us that was like theor- theoretically, like, of course, in your brain, you probably were like, of course, I know that there are people that think differently about war right. and that love right. Jesus. And I don't question their faith. But then you actually, but you haven't actually sat shoulder to shoulder or kneecap to kneecap with those yeah. people. Yeah. It changes everything to have that like. Oh, this is a real thing. This isn't just a theoretical thing. Yes. Like, yeah, that's the that's the proximity that that changes our lives in really meaningful and beautiful ways. And you know, you're so right about the the idea of the slippery slope. That's such a that was the that was it. And it still Be is careful. in many ways. You're gonna and, start and, dancing pretty soon and playing cards. Right. <laughs> when we moved to this neighborhood, those were the fears that people that people shared with us, people in our lives who did not understand why we were doing this thing. They thought it was stupid, terrible idea. Um, but you know, there was, there was this idea of like, oh, it's gonna, it's gonna change you. And for a while I was like, just watch me not change. Like it's fine. <laughs> well, of course it changed me. And, and isn't that, isn't that a good thing? Like, shouldn't we always be aspiring to growth and to change and not to, you know, stagnant. Just it feels like existing. a Christian thing, right? Like this is yeah. just, this is discipleship. Yeah. Shannon and I will be right back after a quick break. If you've not already joined us on Patreon, there's no time like the present. The Patreon community is the primary way this podcast is funded. As a thank you for their support, my patrons receive access to bonus audio that doesn't get shared with the public. And I'm also planning some fun bonuses for December. You can access all of this by going to patreon.com slash untangled faith. That's patreon.com slash untangled faith. Somebody said, I don't remember who, but somebody said, God does not change. So we must. And that stuck with me because it, it not only, it not only gives permission for change, but it's like, this is good. Like you have to be changing Shannon Martin. You cannot stay the way you are right now. Forever. I fully like, arrived when I turned right. 40. I knew it all. I, yeah. I remember after I wrote my first book, Falling Free, I it was time for me to write the second book. And I just had, this is, I'm just being very honest. I'm embarrassing myself on your show. But when, <laughs> when it was time to write the second book or creeping up towards the time, I just remember thinking like, I've, I've already changed in every way that matters. And what else can I possibly say? And of course, there's just, there are always new layers and there's different nuance. And we you know, our world expands a little bit more and we see something kind of differently. And, you know, now I've written, I wrote Ministry of Ordinary Places. Now I've written Start With Hello. And now I can confidently say, I cannot wait to see who I am in yeah. even two more years or four more years. Like I know now I have, I have my own receipts on, <laughs> we are really, truly always changing. Um, yeah. If, if we are, if we have the courage to do that. I want to ask you more about, I don't know how many of my listeners have followed you from the beginning or read any of your books, but you mentioned moving Mm -hmm. to this town that you live in and you made a real specific decision. You left your farmhouse Mm -hmm. and that like ideal, like farm girl life, you (laughs) know, playing at it, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And decided to move to a more 
urban area. Like, Mm -hmm. how did you do that? How did you come to that decision? And how did you do that in a way that wasn't like, and now I'm going to be a missionary and save these people from themselves? Yeah. Well, we came to the decision pretty, honestly, the decision happened pretty abruptly. At least it feels that way in hindsight. But logistically, it took time. You know, it just yeah. We we felt like my husband Corey and I we just we we found ourselves suddenly compelled by the through line of scripture love God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And we both had been raised in evangelical Christian spaces. This was not news to us and yet we were suddenly like, hmm, we don't really know our neighbors. Um and we certainly don't know neighbors who who we think of as different in some way. And so we felt compelled into just neighborhood living. And so we landed here in in a very, I'm looking out my window now, you know, we landed in this place that that was very overlooked and in many ways under-resourced. It's a neighborhood that has true diversity. we, We throw that word around and I know it sounds kind of like, Okay, whatever, Shannon, but truly, in every sense of the word, it's a very diverse place. Um, And, and at the point that we arrived, you know, because it took a while, it took maybe, I don't know, two years for us to make the decision, and then land right here where we are. And I thank God for that time, because I think those two years were, were the time for us to kind of scrape away some of that mindset that you mentioned, like, and we will bring God to the neighborhood. Because that <laughs> yes. was very much that was just in us. It just was mm-hmm. because of our church culture. And so we we did that was a time of real learning for us and real um understanding things differently. But I can't say that by the time we arrived it was completely gone. You know, mm-hmm. we had yeah. we had done a lot of work, but there was still part of me when I arrived that was like, and now I, you know, I knew and I would not have ever said at that point, like, we're going to bring God to the neighborhood. I, I, I started to, it took, took way too long, but I did start to understand we're not bringing God anywhere. Like God is very <laughs> much alive and at work wherever we are. That's not on us. Um, but I, I had this compulsion to do something like, I didn't care what, but okay. Like, here we are. What do we do? And, and that's where I, I began to settle into the place of now we're not going to do anything. You know, Corey's the chaplain of the jail now, but when we moved here, he wasn't. We were just, we were just people doing our things, raising our kids, working. And that was the task before us was to, to be normal humans in our place, to get to know the people around us. And to begin the long, slow work of learning what it means and why it matters to live as neighbors. Normal humans, being a normal human, that sounds like a big ask. Well, (laughs) I know. I mean, normal is pretty subjective. Oh, (laughs) but normal is awkward. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, Yeah, we're all, we all feel it. We all have it. We all have our quirks. We're all a little lonely and pretty unsure of ourselves and pretty busy. And, you know, these things are pretty universal. So so yeah, that's what I mean by normal. <laughs> yeah. How do you build, how did you build credibility and relationship? I would assume there be some skepticism, like why mm-hmm. is this family moving here? Yeah. What do they think they're doing? I am sure there were some folks who felt that way. When we first moved here, um, 
it was kind of a situation where a lot of the houses right on my block were abandoned. And so it, I remember that the first year that we lived here, which this is like a, a different kind of rabbit trail, but Corey and I both grew up like we weren't allowed to trick or treat. Of course. Of course, that's <laughs> not a thing part, we had, had done. Harvest right? parties at church. Right. Trunk or treat. Yes. It was okay. But we had these small children. And, and for the first time, you know, it just, it suddenly seemed obvious that if we want to get to know our neighbors, we should go trick or treating. Well, it sounded great in theory. The problem was we learned, we learned on that night that there were, there were very few people, actual people in it, especially on, on our stretch of the block. Like it just was very empty. So, Mm -hmm. so I know that there were, I'm sure there were people somewhere who were like, I don't know about these people and that's fair. Yeah. But what we really encountered were people who I think of the man who did at the time lived right across the street from us. And he had lived here from from childhood, from birth. You know, he had lived here for 60 years and had watched the neighborhood change and grow and and come to a place where it was like almost dying, you know, and and he felt really pretty happy. And kind of confused in a good way about why we would choose this place. Um, so yeah, we didn't we didn't quite get the pushback on what are you doing here. I think there was some curiosity, um, and like I said, there might be people who felt that way, and we just didn't know about it. But I think what we what we mostly felt from people, and there weren't many at that time, but but the feeling of kind of some solidarity or. Um, you know, kind of were kind of in this together. That sounds a little more rah-rah than I mean it to, because it's not like we were instantly friends or having yeah. parties with these people, but just a sense of like getting to know each other's faces. And I think, you know, I think that's where it mattered for us to have the posture of just, we, we live here, we're sending our kids to school where your kids are going to school. We're going to pass each other on the sidewalks in the morning, walking to school. We're going to attend the church right here on the street. You know, we're, we're just, we're just rooting, rooting down here rather than positioning ourselves as some type of helper or savior or whatever adjective, whatever, you know, label you want to give that. Yeah. You've talked in the past about your decision to like, put down roots and like invest Mm -hmm. in the public school system. Now I know you've made some different changes to school in the last year or so. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Like, what was that tension like for you to be like, Oh, I've talked about this. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But in real time, you kind of like, I mean, it wasn't like, Hey, you weren't like bringing us along for the entire ride, but you're like, Hey, just, you may notice this is a little bit different. Tell me about that. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that. So we did, we committed right away to the, public elementary school on the street. It's a title one school. So for anybody who, I didn't really know what that was before we lived here, but it was, it's a school where the majority of kids are living at or under the poverty line. Um, And so this particular school, which became just beloved to us and to our family, um, it was the the most struggling school in in a large school system. Um, The most financially struggling, you know, it was labeled a failing school, Mm -hmm. which is just terrible that we do that to these kids and these teachers. 
Um, but it was just, yeah, it was, it was struggling in a lot of ways. And we, we decided we knew right away, like this was where we were going to send our kids and we did. Um, and so Calvin, our oldest kind of moved through the elementary school and then on to the middle school. He's a senior in high school this year in the public school. Ruby moved through. Um, she's a sophomore at the public high school. Our youngest, Silas, was in preschool when we got here um, and just struggles in, especially when he was younger, struggled in different ways, struggled in his learning, struggled in, in other ways as well. Um, and he was part of that elementary school from kindergarten up through fourth grade. And at the end of fourth grade, so he, he would have had one more year in that, in that particular building. And on the advice of people who understood his needs, we made a very, very last minute switch. I mean, days before that next school year started, and we put him into a, it's the, the Christian school in our community, a Mennonite Christian school. And it happened so quickly. And I just remember, you know, it felt scary um, we didn't know if it was the right thing to do, but there was that layer also of, I'm the public school mom. Like what, yeah. what is happening? Like I, this was never in my plans, but here we were. And I remember mm -hmm. telling Corey, like, you know, it's, it's very important for me to live online very transparently. And that's just, it's, it's what works for me. It's what feels comfortable for me. And I felt this pressure, like, how do I make this announcement? You know, what do I do? And Corey was like, you don't have to make an announcement. Like, we don't even know if this is going to stick. We don't even know we're trying it. Like it just <laughs> yeah. settled down. Yeah. And sure enough, it, it went horribly and then it went wonderfully. And then he settled in and it has been a game changer for our youngest kiddo. Um, and so at some point I did just say like, you know, this is, this is an unexpected change for us. It's not something we imagine for our family. I feel a lot of tension around it. Um, I feel, I feel less tension now, but at the time I felt a lot of, you know, how does this impact just equity and, you know, all the questions. It was important for me to have a really good sense of, you know, the inclusion in that building and, and how they come alongside um, families from different economic backgrounds and different races and, you know, all the things. Mm -hmm. And, and because they're, you know, these are, these are these wonderful Mennonites that I referenced earlier. They're really, they do a great job in a lot of those areas. And so there was, there was a little bit of comfort, I guess, in that, but, but at the end of the day, um, these are the kinds of things that I hope I always feel a little uncomfortable about. I hope I yeah. always feel a little uncomfortable about my privilege in the world, um, my wealth in the world, because, you know, I just, I think we have to remind ourselves all the time that globally speaking, we're, we're, we're wealthy. Yeah. Um, and, and that has implications. And yeah, I just, I, I don't want to ever come to a place where, where this stuff um, loses its, um, its kind of tension over me. Yeah. We've got, I understand that tension, like in our home, my oldest, our oldest is a senior too, and he's at the public school. Yeah. He's doing great. Um, and then our youngest um, to our homeschooled, and it's like a whole yeah. different, whole different world. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that I feel, I don't feel, I feel attention both places. I feel like I do not fit. I don't right. fit. 
<laughs> any of these places. Yeah. And living in Middle Tennessee and Williamson County that has a lot of resources, but a lot of people that are not even a part of the school district that are really working to undermine it. It yeah. is. And in the name of Christ, yeah, it is a really, there's a lot of tension. Yeah. It's a lot of things to think through. And then the pandemic has changed all the things, you know, when people were like, we're going to move to this place for this sort of school. Well, all the teachers have resigned. <laughs> you know, like right. The school yeah. that you thought you were moving to doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. And so there is a place to stretch our imaginations and our work with being in tension and relationship with people that disagree with us everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. I just, you know, I look back on that and I guess I would, I, my encouragement to people is, especially those who land in a school district like we landed in, especially when your kids are little, you know, I had these little babies and there were so many people around me that were like, you will not send them to that school, will you? My my encouragement is to just try it, yeah. to give it a solid try. And, it, you know, I know as well as anybody that different kids do have different needs and we've got to, you know, find different ways for, for different people. But I'm really grateful that we we started there. You know, we tried it. Um, it worked beautifully in some ways and in, in so many ways, this just works better. Um, but I, but I'm grateful that, that I know what I know, you know, I'm grateful that yeah. we did it and we did it for five years and, you know, we, we gave it a go. So yeah, that's and my, now I, that you have grandbabies you oh can be, and you can like <laughs> speak into that a little, you know, it can be like when, when those decisions are made about where yeah. do we go to school, you can be like, we have done all the things and yeah. it's been okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but give, give the public school, especially if it's a struggling Title One school, whatever the case may be, like just don't be afraid to lean into that. It is, it's been such a beautiful place of connection for for my family, of growth for my family. And I realized even once Silas was out of that building, you know, at this point, my kids are all too old to be at that yeah. building regardless. Mm -hmm. I can still be connected to it. And I and I really in a lot of ways need to be connected to it. Um, because it's 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 a good place for me to engage with my community, to feel small, you know, in this bigger world, to feel like we're, we're doing something together. So yeah, just get involved in these public schools. We, we need it. And do you need to wear a t-shirt that says, I am doing this on behalf of the mega church on the corner? Please come. <laughs> you know how I feel about this. <laughs> we need to put a sign up that says, this is for Jesus. Right, 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 right. I, that yeah. sort of like it's not. backfires on the connection because it shows oh. like there's string, there's strings attached. There's, right? There are strings attached. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I, I wrote about this in Ordinary Places, but like we, we have to stop loving on the least of these like that whole phrase <laughs> we're coming to love on it. you no i don't like, want anybody to love no on thanks. me ever <laughs> and nobody is the least of these i understand that you know we've pulled that from scripture but we just have to do better and and that's where it comes back to the idea of being an awkward normal person yeah. in our place wherever that place happens to be but just you know just blending in honestly in a lot of ways yeah. just being being a neighbor, living our lives and doing our things, but connecting in, in these little, small, simple ways that build into something richer over time. Yeah. How did you fight back against the like 
impulse that's in a lot of us that come from like majority culture uh, resources. Like I'm coming and I'm going to start something. I'm going to mm-hmm. start the thing and it's going to be the best thing. I'm going to yeah. come in and build a new and better whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, when I first arrived in this neighborhood, I had some, like, I knew that, you know, a lot of people were saying to us, oh, are you planting a church? And I was like, (laughs) no, we're not planting a church. You know, I was like, kind of like, oh my goodness, we were not starting a thing. And yet there was part of me that was like, but but I could start a little thing, maybe, you know, that, that doer part of me, especially as it connects with my faith was it, it reared its head. What we just came to see very quickly as, as my bad ideas, you know, crumbled into dust quickly was that it was just a much better, um, it was a better idea to join in on things that were already happening around us and, and to just be, you know, I joined the PTO, I joined the neighborhood association. Um, we got involved at our little wonky, tiny dying church. We just joined in and it, and it put it kind of reconciles power dynamics a little bit because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in charge. I wasn't even close to being in charge. I was just a person showing up to these boring meetings a lot of times, you know, but, but forming those connections and understanding my place better and getting to know the people around me, my neighbors better there. There's already a lot. There are good people who know what they're doing and and we can come alongside and and support that rather than feeling like we always have to be the one in charge. So if people follow you, they know you love like you have become you have fallen in love with your neighborhood, your neighbors. Yeah. We know it's not perfect. Right. But like is this how is this has this always been easy for you? Like no, hey world, Amy. come on over. <laughs> I've read the books. I know the answer to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh this sounds like a lot of work yeah. and I sort of want to nap. <laughs> oh, that's the story of my life. I am I am a deep introvert who would almost always rather be on the couch with a book. Like I don't even want the TV on, generally speaking. I just want quiet. I want peace. Yeah. I want to be alone. I have to push against those impulses because I've learned through my neighbors Anything I know about neighboring, and I've written a lot about it, it's, it's something because it has changed my life. You know, I, I, I love it. Um, but any, any knowledge I have about doing this, I learned secondhand by and from my neighbors. And, and I've learned from them that putting ourselves out there in these small ways, that it's just rewarding. I've, I've learned that when I push against my impulse to never go anywhere and never talk to anyone, <laughs> yes. that, that that makes my world lonelier than it needs to be. And that when I do go first or put myself out there just a little bit or, you know, invite somebody to the back patio to have a glass of ice water. I mean, it, it can be so basic and simple. We, we don't have to complicate it. But when I do those small things, I don't ever regret it. On the other side of that, I don't ever feel like, well, that was a stupid waste of time. You know, I yeah. just, but, and so I know that it's like, we have to, we have to learn a new way. We have to learn what is true. And I have learned about myself over time. And I continue to learn that this is always worth it. Even if it requires me to put my, 
my personality aside in some ways. And, you know, I write about this in the book. We, we do, we're still ourselves. I am always going to be an introvert. I'm always going to love quiet. Of course, we have to make space and time. This doesn't mean that our lives become a swirl of chaos and we're constantly <laughs> yes. with our neighbors all the time. I mean, that sounds stressful to even say it, but it does mean that we, we approach the world every day with our eyes to the sky paying attention to the actual world we're in, to the clouds and to the ground beneath our feet, because as we pay attention to the physical world, it helps us pay better attention to the people around us. And as we pay attention to the people around us, we find that we love them more. And as we find that we love them more, we also experience being loved by them more. And it's just this beautiful rhythm that's very ordinary and very simple and very unfussy and unfancy but at the end of it, we know that we are safer. We know that we are more secure. It feels almost counterintuitive. But when we, when we are known by each other, we are more secure. And it's just a, it's a better, more connected way to live. Do you have a garage door opener? I do. And do you park your car in the garage? You know, I feel like in in the north, I'm thinking how easy it is to go yes. through the cold season if yeah. you're always driving. You're not mm-hmm. going to see anybody outside. Right. We could realistically, and I think many of us do. We pull could just the garage, pull in. It's like we disappear into the into our see homes. you in nine months. Yeah, and and in some ways, I do. I mourn winter for a lot of reasons. I live where. <laughs> terrible and cold for a very long time. It's very gray there. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. I grew up in Minnesota, so I understand. Yeah. So we do kind of lose a little bit of that connection over the winter months. And, you know, then we all wake up in the spring and we come back together and that's, you know, it's like even the, the seasons even have like emotional shifts to them. I am ashamed to tell you that we generally do not park our vehicles in the garage because our garage is full full of crap. Well, that's I mean, a very that's... southern thing. Gosh. <laughs> Nobody in the south parks in the garage. Well, our neighbors do. A lot of but we our... don't have basements either to put anything in. See, we have basements too. It's terrible. We we have a lot of <laughs> we're surrounded. Many of our neighbors are families who put a lot of value on celebrations and parties, you know, our Latino neighbors, and they have these pristine garages. <laughs> That they do park in, but also they want to have birthday parties and, you know, host these parties. It's like, I am ashamed all the time. (laughs) They can see into our garage and I know they're disappointed in us. You're not having a party in your garage. Is that what you're saying? No, we're like clearing a path for people to, to come. You've got to go. A lot of times we'll go through (laughs) a garage to get to our back patio and we're like, Hey, we cleared a little path for you. You're welcome. Yeah. We're kind of, that's a connection. What can we talk about that's in Shannon's garage? Hey, we're just, this is, <laughs> this is real us. That's right. And that's people right. live here and, and we're just going to have to, we're going to have to, you know, come to the table, however we are and, and finding a way to, to kind of shorten that path between us. Yeah. I want to wrap this up with one last question. A lot of my listeners have a complicated relationship with the church. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had some sort of hurt, uh, spiritual abuse. They just are disillusioned, uncertain. Mm -hmm. They most likely miss that community and that connection that they had with their faith Mm -hmm. community because for some reason or another, it has fractured. Um, 
What suggestions do you have for people that their skills really are always have been like, oh, my friends are supposed to be my church friends. And now I don't even know where I belong. Yeah. I, I feel it. And I know that there are so many of us struggling through these complicated church times. My suggestion for all of us is to, to just simply start looking around us to be more aware of the people who's, who we are kind of rubbing shoulders with, even in really minor ways. And to, to start to think about who else might be feeling this thing that I'm feeling. I, some of my closest friendships happened when, when I was able to, to clear away the idea that friendship had to mean, you know, that we, we're in the same life phase. We're in the same age group. We're both married, both had kids, whatever the case, you know, all these categories that had to be similar. If I could let go of that and just look around me and say, like, who else might be feeling kind of lonely right now? What if I um, invited that person to go for a walk? Or, you know, first of all, just said hello. Like it really does. Mm -hmm. It really truly does start with hello. And then from there, something as simple as like, hey, do you want to go for a walk? Or hey, do you want to meet for coffee at the coffee house or, you know, over time, maybe it turns into like, do you want to come over for dinner? I I think we have to make that, that intentional shift though, in saying what we used to have or what we wanted was that type of connection within church spaces that, that is not happening in the way Mm -hmm. we, we thought it might, but that doesn't mean that we have to be without connection. And, and if we can begin to form connections with the people who are nearby around us, that's a really beautiful way through. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your time. The book will be available everywhere. Find your copy. You can find it on my website, shannonmartin.com or anywhere you find books. And then you can keep track of me. Follow along on Twitter or Instagram at Shannon Writes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Untangled Faith. If you're new to the podcast, I've included a link in the show notes to some episodes that might be interesting to you, including some that might explain why Shannon's disagreement with Dave Ramsey caused me to fear interacting with her would jeopardize my husband Nathan's job. I hope this episode gives you some things to consider and to take to your friends and have conversations about. And if you appreciate this episode, would you consider sharing it on Instagram and tagging me at Untangled Faith? Don't forget to check out the rest of my conversation with Shannon at patreon.com slash untangled faith. I'd love to keep the conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm untangled faith on Instagram and Facebook and faith untangled on Twitter. For more information about supporting the show, check out patreon.com slash untangled faith. You can find the show notes at untangledfaithpodcast.com. The Untangled Faith podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. A special thanks to my Patreon supporters. This podcast is made possible by support from my patrons. Special thanks to producers Michelle Pianic and Phil and Susan Perdue. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.